Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. The Bible says, Thy word is truth. Every man that uh, ever comments on the Bible is fallible, but the word of God is not fallible. That's that's our final authority. So whatever I say, you've got to filter it through the word of God. And that's why we open the Bible so that you can see that if what I say lines up with the book. And if what I say doesn't line up with the book, then throw it out and stick with the book. <laughs> First Corinthians. <laughs> First, First Corinthians chapter number 11, the Bible says, we'll start reading at verse 1, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. We preached on verse, we, we preached on verse 1, we preached on verse 2. Now we're at verse number 3, the Bible says, but I would have you know. That the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now, I have to say this because we're talking about head coverings as we go through 1 Corinthians 11. And and the doctrine, or the so-called doctrine of the head covering, it is not just a tradition that, 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 that women will try to keep. It's not about fashion. It's not about preference. It's not about style to them. It's a fundamental doctrine that is an overarching view of the whole idea of nonconformity. So they believe. Now, when I say they, that's split because every individual person under that camp might see things a little bit different. But as we draw the lens back, those that wear an additional covering on top of their hair believe that it is an ordinance of the church. So if you do not have an additional covering on top of your hair, then you are not following the ordinance that it was prescribed by God to Paul not just for the Corinthian church that was happening then, but for us now today. And because that doctrine in their view has been forgotten, this is why, or one of the reasons why, some or all will say worldliness has entered into the church. If you've gotten away from this doctrine, well, no wonder. So they believe wholeheartedly that it's been a trap of the devil that churches have moved away from this doctrine. But the trap of the devil isn't, oh no, you don't have an additional covering on top of your hair. What do we do? The trap of the devil is you're so distracted on what goes on top of your head that you've forgotten to witness to the loss. That's a clear command. And that's been the trap of the devil. Now, this is my opinion, and in my opinion, based on uh, the four instances that I've had run-ins with uh, those that do or believe this head-covering doctrine, they won't witness. 
You can offer them door knocking. You can offer them track passing. You can offer them scripture sign holding. You can offer them bumper stickers on cars. You can offer them any type of opportunity to get involved church-wide with evangelism. And in my experience, it has always turned into, well, we do it a different way. And that way never is really revealed so that we can all get involved in it because if you've got another way or if you've got a better way, please tell me so that we can get her done. But when your better way is to not do it, I'll do my not so better way rather than not doing it at all. The witness becomes their life. Because you can go out and you can show people, do you see how we dress? Do you see what we wear? And the witness becomes we are sharing Jesus by the way we live. The only problem with that is none of us have a life that's worth looking at. <laughs> it's it's really it really is. And look, we're I want to be careful I say this because we do hold the line on music standards. We do hold the line on dress standard. We do hold the line on not throwing the Bible away. But to try to make somebody look a certain way so that they're going to come to Jesus isn't how God prescribed it in his word. So although we're for holiness, we're for right living, we're for all of that. That isn't the gospel. Does it make sense? The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we want you to live right. And you would want me to live right. And we would all want other Christians to live right. But whether those other Christians or us or me lives right or not, it doesn't stop the gospel. The gospel is what we are to preach. Again, this is my opinion. And again, this is my opinion based on the experience that I've had. And there are one of three reasons. Uh, why women are wearing an additional covering on their head. There may be more. This isn't exhaustive. This is just what I've run into. They want you to see by the way that they live their life that they are continuing a doctrine of the church and that you are not. They want to show you that a bolt is loose in church doctrine or in the way women should live. And they want to be able to help you tighten that bolt. They also want to show you that they are in submission to God's authority. Or, and they are in submission to God's order. And that you are not. So now to wind that up. you It honestly doesn't matter to me. What other women wear. If you would like to wear a cap, a veil, a hat, it, it, it does not matter. 
And every time I've been asked this question, I give the same answer. I am not here to tell you what to wear on your head. You ask your husband. And we're fine either way. It doesn't matter a hill of beans to us. And. But you need to ask. Am I disobeying God's order? If I don't put an additional covering on my head. Is our church disobeying the Lord and is our church throwing out an ordinance if we do not teach our women to put an additional covering on top of their head? You have to ask those questions because if you don't ask them, they're not out there to be answered. Everything's just left very vague. And has the world dis regarded God's order of headship the world has has the distinction of the sexes been blurred I think all you got to do is turn on the news and figure that one out we all know that they have go to all any college campus go to any just go out in town do Christians and individual uh, do individual Christians and churches do they need to give a proper testimony and a proper witness by the way they live their life yes but nobody gets saved by the way you live your life. They just don't. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 3, that was the introduction. This is going to be the preaching of the text. We're going to have one verse here. And in this verse, there are three heads that are being spoken of. And these three spiritual heads, we will um, rightly divide with the Lord's help. And Paul says in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but I would have you know. So he's leaving his praise part out here. And he's going to clarify something. And Paul says, but I would have you know, he's using this as an attention grabber. Because he's going to give him some stuff to chew on. That the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. And this verse is foundational to the rest of the truth that is going to be dealt out in the chapter. This is God's order, verse 3, God's order of headship. Does culture change? Yes. Does the philosophy of the world change? Yes. Does God's order change? Nope, not a chance. And this is the verse to understand that. And then he says, well, in verse three, but I would have, you know, that the head. So let's break this down that the head. So go to Ephesians. Chapter one. Ephesians one and look at verse twenty two. We'll get some Bible defining of the head. Ephesians one twenty two. And hath put all things. Under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. If we look and we let the Bible define itself, we see that this idea of headship, that the head, this headship is uh, there's someone that is over. And we see that this is Christ. Over all things to the church. 
who is over? Who is the head? Who is over this thing? It should be Christ. That's the Bible defining what headship is in relation to the Lord. And in Ephesians 4, we'll see it again. We'll see another aspect. Ephesians 4, verse, verse 15. The Verse 15 says, but, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. If Christ is our head, this idea of headship is, is, is where we can grow. If Christ is our head, there's growth described here. We will grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So headship describes who is over. Headship describes there's growth coming under the authority of that head. And in Ephesians 5, look at verse 23. This is chock full of different aspects of headship. 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. There's a saving aspect. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands, in everything, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There's a loving aspect of headship. There's a giving aspect of headship. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. There's a cleansing and washing aspect of having Christ as our head. That he might present it to him, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Because we can't be holy and we can't be without blemish without our head. And that's what Christ does for us. He's the one that presents us because he is our head. It's a cleansing effect. And it comes from Christ. Two more. We'll find them in Colossians. Just flip forward. You go through Philippians and then Colossians, the first chapter. Look at verse number 18, Colossians 1, verse 18. And he is the head of the body. That would be the body of Christ. The church, it's defined there. Who is the beginning, firstborn from the dead. And here it is, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Headship is who has the preeminence. Is it a convention that casts a vote? And the vote determines the preeminence? Is it the priest? Is it the pope? Is it the bishop? Is it the deacon? Is it the people? It, it can't be any of those things. Because if any of those individuals or any of those groups has the preeminence, folks, we are sunk. We are sunk. I do the best I can to rightly divide the word of truth. But I do not. I don't want the preeminence. <laughs> I want to try to point you to Christ 
I want to try to get people to bury their nose in this book and whatever I say, it better be pointing to the preeminent one. He should have the preeminence. And he ain't going to force it. The same way we men as husbands can't force our wife to do anything. It works when the body voluntarily wants to submit to the head of the church. It works when the wife wants to voluntarily submit to her husband. But he's not God. He's not. We'll get to that. But, but all the buts and all the what ifs is what gets us into trouble. It, it does. Colossians 2 verse 10. It says the last one on that on headship. And ye are complete in him. That's Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. Along with headship comes completeness. We're complete in Christ. Nothing else we need to be presented to the Lord to be glorious. We're complete in him. Now go back. Uh, well, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, and just go back to... Um, Galatians, if you would, chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, we see that the head of every man is Christ. Now, that's something to not forget. We should all be in subordination and in subjection to the Lord Jesus Christ. That the head of every man is Christ okay who do I need to be in subjection to Christ <laughs> and if I am not the order is broken and I have usurped authority and now I have taken the preeminence the same with any man that comes and, and teaches the word of God if we live our life to use the Bible to make us be the preeminence it doesn't work. It doesn't work, at least biblically. Then it says, and the head of the woman is the man. Now, ladies, I know that is a hard verse to read. Because you know that your husband isn't like Christ all the time. I know that's a hard verse to read. And let me say this. We preached on this, I think, on the first or second message. I think we all realize that in Christ, the distinction of male and female is done away with. That means that we are all equal in Christ. That doesn't mean that God didn't give specific roles to each gender to show a distinction in those genders this is why we have men preach and teach the word of god not women at least to a mixed congregation when the women teach they're teaching women or they're teaching children so when a woman asks me before church hey can i address the congregation 
I'm not belittling women. I'm not trying to be mean to women. I'm not against women. But if I say yes, now I disobey the word of God. And I don't want to do that. And if somebody gets upset at me because of that, I don't like people getting upset at me. This either to you. But you can't disobey the word of God because you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. And neither can I. God has given roles. The woman has a complementary teaching role within the body of Christ. And that complementary teaching role is do a woman's Bible study, do a women's retreat, do a, uh, a Sunday school with the children. It's a complementary role. That's how the Lord set it up. When we come together and it's mixed with men and women, God asks that the men teach and preach. Now, if we get away from that, we're getting away from the truth of God's word, and our opinion has had the preeminence. Ephesians 5, verse 23. Let's look at that one more time. And then get Psalm 78, and I'll show you three things, and then we'll move on to the next thought. But get Psalm 78, because I'd like you to see. See that as well. Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Who's the head? The man. Genesis 2 says, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. If the man is the head, what is the woman? The help. You have the head, you have the help. Because the fellows need help. So that's how God set it up. So they can get the help that they need. Man is the head. Woman is the help. 78. Chapter of Psalms. What are the children? That the generation to come. Verse 6. Psalm 78 verse 6. Might know them. Even the children which should be born. Who should arise and declare them to their children. That they might see their hope. In God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The man is the head. The woman is the help. Children of the hope. You got your head, your help, your hope. Men, women, children. That's how God set it up. Wife should help the head to train the children. And that's the hope that they would not forget the ways of the Lord. Get First Peter chapter three and second uh, and First Timothy chapter two. First Peter chapter three and First Timothy chapter two. When the wife is in subjection to the man, when the wife is in subjection to her husband, it should be in her behavior. It should be in her conversation. It should be in her dress. It should be in the family. It should be in the society. It should be in the church. Meaning that society should recognize that the wife is in subjection to the man. Now, when I say that, it doesn't mean that the wife is inferior. 
first Peter chapter number three. Watch what it says in verse number two. First Peter three, verse number two. Let's start at verse one. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Ladies, you're not to go around town and have to be into subjection to any other man. If you are married, you are in, you are in subjection, but ordered by God to your own husband, period. That if any obey not the word, that's a husband that's not obeying the word. That they may without the word, that means the sermonettes aren't going to convert him. When he comes home and you give him 20 minutes of preaching before the hot meal, it ain't going to work on him. They also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. This is a wife who's got a difficult husband. And her subjection to her head is shown by how she converses. It's sweet. It's kind. What do you think? She's clueless and ignorant to the fact that he's lost and on his way to hell. I mean, no. Wives in those situations, they're not clueless. They know. But God said, look, there's some ways you ain't going to win them. And there's some ways you are going to win them. And that's one of them. A sweet conversation. Chase conversation of wives. While they behold, verse 2, your, your, your chase conversation coupled with fear. Who's adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair or of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel or of putting an additional covering on top of your hair. Now, if there was any place where God would show New Testament Christian women on outward adorning, it's going to be in this or First Timothy. And we don't see anything there listed where God says, look, if you would like to show that you're in subjection to your head, your husband. You got conversation. You've got hair mentioned. You've got jewelry mentioned. You've got clothing mentioned. But you have no mention of a, an additional covering that has to go on top of your hair. And if there was one place God would put it, it would be here in 1 Timothy. And we're going to find we don't see it. The other thing is, it isn't a sin for a woman to braid her hair. Well, doesn't the Bible say that let not the outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold? It does. Except it also says, or of putting on apparel. And not a one of us husbands are going to allow our wives to leave the house without apparel on. <laughs> so if you're going to tell women that they can't braid their hair, and if you're going to tell women you can't wear jewelry, you're going to have to equally tell them you can't put on apparel. And we all know that would be an abomination. He's talking about, are you plating and braiding up your hair for a show? So that you can have the preeminence and you can get all the attention and draw it away from your husband. 
or draw attention away from Christ. It's the same with jewelry. Are you doing it for a fashion show so that you can get all the attention and everybody sees that you've got the richest gold and all that? It's a heart motive. And it's the same with apparel. It's a heart motive, ladies. It's the same with your conversation. I'm just going to leave them notes all around the house. John 3.16 and Romans 6.23. And that ain't going to save them. Just be sweet to them. Fix your hair for them. Dress up for them. Be nice to them. And that's showing that you're in subjection to someone, your husband, who don't get it. That is being in subjection and showing that you respect your head. Let's move on to the next one and we'll see if we, we can. Did I read all the verses I wanted to read? Let me make sure. Yeah, we didn't read. Yeah, but the men. Amen. All right, verse number four. We're at 2 Timothy, or 1 Peter. Sorry, let's stay there. Look at verse four. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, even that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. That's the ornament that is of great value to God. Now watch this. For after this, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection, here it is again, to their own husbands. You know what we need in our day? Some old-time women. You know what we need in our day? Some women that are in subjection and they're holy because they get the old-time ways. Now watch this one. Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. None of you ladies or no ladies that I know had it like Sarah had. Remember Hagar? <laughs> it's going to be real tough for any lady that I know to be all right with that. And I'm telling you, I don't know one, one Christian lady that had it like Sarah had. You mean I have to call him Lord? He was with my servant? Yet that's the example. And ladies, I would submit that none of you are as sunk as, as Sarah was. Look, us fellows, we got our faults. We got our flaws. We're not going to do everything right, say everything right, have the timing the way it's supposed to be, and figure out everything that you want us to figure it out. I don't think it happens in any marriage. But it isn't a Sarah and Abraham deal. Yet. She obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And that's pretty good. That's a good example. I believe God put that right in there because of that reason. We'll beat up on the fellows on another night, but tonight is not that night. First Timothy 2. First Timothy chapter number 2. Verse number 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, 
not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, when you cross-reference that with the first Peter verse, you will see that God's not talking about it's a sin to wear jewelry and it's a sin to braid your hair. Verse 10, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, if God, do you see any mention of a woman having to do anything additional on top of her head? Again, if there's two New Testament verses, it's going to be in 1 Peter 3 or it's going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 2. All right, wear modest apparel. Okay, we're talking about hair. We're talking about jewelry again. No additional mention of being in subjection to your husband by putting a covering on top of your hair. I don't see it. Now it says in verse 11, let the women learn in silence. Uh, let the women learn in silence. I said it again because God has a way for women to learn. And then it says, with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor do you serve authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, I've had four go-arounds on different situations since we've been here. And each time, the husband says nothing to me. The wife emails, the wife calls, the wife gets me before church, the wife gets me after church. And why is that? Because she's out of line with the word of God. That's why. You can ask the preacher anything you want, but you should go home and ask your husband first and then let your husband come and wear out the preacher. The preacher isn't above being corrected, but God has an order here. The wife should be in subjection to her head. The husband should be the one saying, oh, listen, preacher. Hey, listen, church. Hey, listen, leadership. Why? So the woman don't have to do it. He's the head. He should take the brunt of that. You don't send your wife out to the front lines to argue and try to convince the preacher of another doctrine. Questions can be asked. We're not saying that. But the headship lies with the man. If there was a problem in, in a church, and we've been in different churches, I'm sure you have. But if there's a problem, or there's a concern or something that needs to be talked about, I go to the preacher. Hey, what's going on with this situation? I'm just... Wanting to make sure I see it right. I don't send my wife in and defend for herself. I go. Or we both go. Why does God have it set up like that? I don't have all the answers, but I know that he's trying to show an order of headship. The women that I have known... And this doctrine of wearing an additional covering on your head, the run-ins that I've had over the last three years here, the women all have more to say than the man. That has been the common denominator. Always, every single time. 
To me, that doesn't seem too submissive. That doesn't seem like she's in subjection to her head. But we don't see any mention of uh, a veil in there. We, we see learning in silence and subjection. Uh, verse number 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, let's get some context because it's important to say that. Well, what are you saying, Brother Jimmy? Women just have to not talk? No. The context of this passage, what is it talking about? The local assembly of a church when men and women come together corporately. When a man and a woman go to Walmart and they're in line and the woman turns around and starts teaching the Bible and witnesses somebody about Jesus. She's not out of line of the word of God because this is a specific context within the church. If she's going to teach women, children, we already ran over that. God is just drawing out one specific context where women can show subjection to their head. And that is in the church house. That's when the body of Christ assembles corporately. That's the specific context of this. She can show headship. Verse number 14, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. If I had to give a reason why God set it up like that, it would be verse 14. You all got something different on it. I'd like to see it, but that's about what I've got from the chapter. Go to Proverbs 31. I think that you will appreciate this, ladies. Be a, an example. Proverbs 31 is certainly a, an excellent Example chapter. Look at verse 11. Of Proverbs 31. The heart of her husband. Doth safely trust. In her. So that he shall have no need. Of spoil. Her heart's trusted in who? Her husband. That's a woman that's in subjection. Look at verse 13. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She's not lazy. Look at verse uh, number 14. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She goes shopping. Uh, look at verse number 15. She riseth also while it is yet night. Now, fellas, we don't wake our wives up in the middle of the night and say, honey, it's time to cook something. But she's working late hours. This is not a lazy woman. She has complete freedom and liberty and she feels like she can do what she was called to do because her heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. Verse 16, she considereth the field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hand. She planteth a vineyard. She doubts she's outside working. She girdeth her loins with strength and she strengtheneth her arms. She goes to the YMCA and works out a little bit. She, she's working. This is a woman, a Christian woman who's active. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good, her candle goeth not out by night. She's selling things. She's working late at night to do it. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. That's the spinning wheel. She uh, Watch this on verse number 20. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor, yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She cares about people that are in need. 
She's not afraid of the snow for her household. My wife asked, is there snow in Tennessee? I said, it might, but you just read this verse, and I tried to help her get that as her life verse, but it didn't work so well. Uh, <laughs> and now watch verse 22. Watch this. If you want to take a verse out of Proverbs 31 to show the model woman that she needs a covering for her head, this is the verse that they will go to. Now, when I say they, it doesn't mean everybody, but some will. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Who are the coverings for? Herself. Guess where she's going to put it? On top of her hair. Except, no, she's not. Because if you keep reading the verse, it says, her clothing is silk and purple. What's the context of the coverings of tapestry? She's making clothes, ladies. She's making clothes for herself. That's the content. Now, in our day, there is this move for status. We see it with men and women and young adults. Wives, you don't need status. God calls you to build up your husband because he needs some help being built up. And when you do that, you reflect to the world that you are in subjection to him as your head because this world doesn't like God's order. Ladies, you should reflect to the world that your husband has your best interests in mind. And that is a way to show that you are in subjection to God's order. But what if he doesn't? Doesn't say, but what if he doesn't? First Peter 3 gave us some help on that. Wives, you are not inferior to your husband. In a church, are we all one body? Nobody should have status. So what we talked about in Sunday school. We do not and we will not go down the road of exalting one gift above another gift. We all have spiritual gifts. That should be used without claim to status. And when people fight for status. That is what is shameful to the Lord. That's how we shame the Lord. Nobody has higher status than God. We voluntarily submit ourselves to him. The wife voluntarily submits herself to her husband. Marriage should reflect how Christ loved the church. We have God-given roles and God-given functions. And you have a train. It goes down the track and it stays on the track. It works. It gets off the track. It don't work. And women are not liberated when they get off the track. It says the head of the woman is the man. You know what that picture is? It's the ideal man and the ideal Women. Don't you wish all relationships were the ideal? That's what God's shooting for. When you read this verse, you might be thinking the head of the woman is the man. You might read into it and say, well, 
yeah, because the man is smarter and has more brains, and that's why he should be the head. But that ain't the reason. Because most of the time, the woman is smarter, and the woman has more brains, which therein lies the trouble with being in subjection. <laughs> She's standing at the altar, and the, you know, the, the preacher's giving the vows, and you know, you have a beautiful woman and she's in subjection uh, to, to the order. And, you know, and then there's this pipsqueak guy here. <laughs> he doesn't, he, I have to submit to that. I have to obey that. I have to, you would think it isn't going to work, but God says, look, the order is you might be smarter. You might have more brains. He needs some help. I'll be in subjection to him. <laughs> it's kind of funny when you think about it. I don't know if God had a sense of humor, but look, that's the order that God set up. Mary and Joseph. The Bible says that Jesus was, in, was subject to them. He knew more. He was God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean subjection doesn't mean inferiority. It has to do with the roles that were given. Get John 10. We'll go through and finish up the most important part. I want to finish this tonight. I hope everybody's okay. All right, and the head of Christ is God. That's the next part of, the, uh, of uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. The head of Christ is God. Now, John 10, being the book of John for three verses. John chapter 10, read verse 27. Watch what the Bible says. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. Anybody have a problem understanding what eternal life is? That means you can't lose it. But just in case you had a problem. It says, and they shall never perish. Anybody want to guess what never perishing means? <laughs> Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. God gives you three ways to refute anybody who says, well, I just don't believe I can keep it. I got I, I just, I just believe I can lose it. You can lose it. My father, verse 29, which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. That's Jesus, the son, is equal with God, the father. Headship does not have to do with equality. It has to do with different roles. John 8. Headship also has to do with, and the head of Christ is God. Watch this, John 8. I think you'll like this, verse 14. Jesus answered and said to them, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. For I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. Yet if I judge, my judgment is true. For I am not alone, but I and the Father, and I and the Father that sent me. You know what this shows headship is? Complete and total cooperation. Has nothing to do with inequality. It has to do with roles. It has to do with cooperation. And then lastly, verse 28. Then Jesus said to them, 
when you have lifted up the son of man, then shall you know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. The head of Christ is God. You know what that means? The father is the leader. Has nothing to do with inequality. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, Word, and Holy Ghost. And these three are one. The head of Christ is God. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, you are Christ and Christ is God. We all belong to Christ. And we should all be completely devoted to serving him. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. They wanted to follow an earthly leader. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, First Corinthians, rather. But you know who we are the property of? Jesus Christ. We're not the property of Paul or Cephas or Apollos. The property of Christ. Christians possess because they are possessed by Christ. <laughs> he is boss. The head of Christ is God. Bible says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The head of Christ is God. You want to get to God? It's going to be through one way, Jesus Christ. The exclusivity of the gospel, that's it. You're not going to get there any other way. John 5, I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. When Jesus came. He fulfilled his role. And praise God, he died for our sins. But we put ourselves first because we're human. He came to fulfill the will of the Father. The Father is first because of the line of, of headship. The will of God the Father was the priority of God the Son. Jesus is not inferior to the Father. He is in complete agreement and cooperation and in service to the Father. In other words, the Father's glory was on his mind. Now, wives, I know that's a tough thing to get a hold of, but your husband's glory should be on your mind. His role, Jesus Christ, God the Son, his role in the Godhead, was the mediator. He took upon the form of a servant. And to be a man of sorrows. One more thing and I'm done. John 19. I want you to see this. Because as I was studying this out. I'm like. Wait a minute. This is good. John 19. John 19. Verse number one. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. You want to you want to you already know what's going on the top of Jesus's head. And the soldiers plated a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Jesus Christ has an additional covering on top of his head. It's a crown of thorns. As he's going to bleed out 
on the cross for our sins. And you know what he does in verse number 11? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. He has an additional covering on his head, and he's prophesying in verse number 11. He's foretelling truth. This idea that you're going to get out of glory or get out of headship if you do or don't have something on your head, Jesus has something on his head, and he's prophesying. Look at verse number 26. He does it again. At the end, Jesus says, woman, behold thy son. Verse number 26, he says, I thirst. You know what's happening when Jesus is speaking? Prophecy is being fulfilled. What do you think? He took off the crown of thorns, the additional covering on his head, so he wouldn't dishonor the father? He's not out of his role of headship with something additional on his head. He's prophesying and fulfilling prophecy. And then he says in verse number 30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, other words, it says that he cried. He's praying. He cries out to the father. It is finished. What do you think? He disglorified or, or, or dishonored the father because he didn't take the additional covering off. We major in the minors. Now I'm telling you, Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary had a crown of thorns covering his head. About the ninth hour in Matthew 27, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lamna sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus crying out, praying to the Father, crying out to God, the Father, God the Son, with an additional covering on top of his head, which was a crown of thorns. May we not lose the fact that Jesus Christ has the preeminence and all glory goes to him. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.